And occasionally the Word of God speaks to issues that uh, we need to speak to one another as adults. This happens to be one of them. This is part one of a two-part message uh, in dealing decisively with sin. I am going to be as gentle as I possibly can without taking away from what the Word of God purposefully, pointedly, willfully, and directly says. Secondarily, there is always a balance between license and liberty. On one hand, you have the license to be free because God has set you free and made you free and able to enjoy all things richly. The other side of that uh, is, is that incredible license that you might have to sin. So you've got liberty and you've got license. And we need to make sure that we're in the midst of it, that we're not swung either direction. As the body of Christ, and I want to draw your attention to a couple of things that are just burning in my heart. And this is simply to say, if you look at our world and you look at what's being said about Christians specifically in our world, the reason we have such a poor voice in our world today is the church does not stand for what God stands for. And we are hypocritical very often. We pick and choose our sin. And we, one sin's perfectly acceptable and another sin is not. And if we do not stand decisively against all sin, insofar as we know it in Scripture, then our voice is muted. And, and it causes us to not have the witness that we should have in this world. And I want to encourage you this morning. I mean, no offense to anyone. I'm not trying to harm or unduly pressure anyone. I'm not attempting to draw attention to a specific area of sin, but it is the context of this particular passage of sin, and it's important that we leave it in context. It is an important contextual issue throughout the New Testament. Uh, it's written about by uh, all four of the gospel authors, so Jesus himself addresses this particular sin. And so it is important for us to stand where God stands. As I, as I often am asked questions, and the reason I'm taking time this morning to preface what we're about to study is I want no one to get the wrong impression about why we're doing this. But I ask you some simple questions. Do we have any business examining other people's lives according to what Scripture says? And the answer is absolutely yes. And in fact, you've been mandated to do it. It is not, as many people often misquote, man, stop judging me. Jesus said, don't judge. No, Jesus said, judge with a righteous judgment, is what he said. He said, judge not, lest you yourself in the same manner, which in that case was unrighteousness, be judged unrighteously, because you're not judging correctly. He did not say, don't judge. And in fact, he said exactly the opposite. Now, that doesn't mean that we run around with our sinometers out going, oh man, wait, oh man, I got some over here. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that we check out each other's lives infinitely. But when we come across things in each other's lives that don't stack up to what God's Word plainly states, 
And I want to make this very clear, this singular point. They are repeated. They are pervasive. They are all-encompassing issues of sin in someone's life where they will not repent. They refuse counsel. They will not hear what the word of the Lord says. They will not let you pray for them. That is what's being addressed here. We're not talking about a stumble. We're not talking about someone who, you know, has an issue a couple of times and repents of it and God works in their life. We are talking about pervasive, repeated, life-altering, God-damning, church-damning sin. Where the world looks at it and goes, that's why I'm not a Christian. That's what we're talking about. And unfortunately, family of God, that exists in the church. And quite frankly, I wish this is one of those passages like, mm, I will just skip that one. Don't think I want to cover that one right now. Thank you very much. But we need to. Because whether this applies to you personally this morning, or me personally this morning, or it applies to somebody you know this morning, at some point in time, I guarantee you that if you walk with Jesus for more than a week, you're going to bump into this issue. You're, you're going to meet someone who professes Christ, who is in open rebellion to what God's word plainly states. And of course, in our world, there isn't an example of that that's bigger and more pervasive than sexual sin. There isn't one. You may not like the subject. You may not like the fact that the Bible talks about it. But the bottom line is, it's killing our kids. It's destroying their lives. It is ruining marriages. It is rotting the minds of our nation. And it needs to become against by the body of Christ. And if we won't stand, nobody else will. I guarantee you that. Because they're making billions promoting it. So please, take no offense. Hear the word of the Lord. Know that Jeff is an imperfect vessel. And as I speak, I pray that I add nothing to nor take nothing from what God's word plainly states. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come and we pause. Lord, I pause. God, alter these notes. Change words. Give us, Lord, just ears that would be soft and sensitive to your spirit. Lord, help me to emphasize nothing that you don't want to say this morning. Help this message to be one of clarity. Lord, one that just simply convicts but does not condemn. One that heals but will not hurt. And so, God, we ask you, uh, we beg you, Lord, save our kids. Lord, protect this nation. Help us to stem the tide of immorality, Lord, that's, that's become a part of our daily lives. And we pray that, God, you would just now use your word to instruct us, bless us through the hearing of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remind you that verse 21 of chapter 4, we're going to take just the first five verses of chapter 5, but verse 21 asks the question, what do you want? And to paraphrase it, it says, do you want a whipping or do you want grace? Do you want love? Do you want me to come with the rod? Do you want me to come with the glorious blessings of God? That's what Paul is saying. And now the next breath 
verse 1, chapter 5. For it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. It's one thing for sexual immorality to be the way of the world. It is one thing for unbridled sexuality to be the way of the world. One need go no further than watching the commercials on professional sporting events to realize exactly how pervasive it is. You know, if you drink a certain kind of beer, you're going to be far more handsome and scantily clad women will hang around you and think you're adorable. That's what it says. That's the world's impression and it is what the world is trying to press upon you even as the church. It's everywhere. It's not hidden. Uh, I grew up in a day and time when there was still a census bureau in this country, believe it or not. Those of you who are a little older, you remember that time. You, you could there, there was virtually no word that you could say on TV. You weren't allowed to say damn. That was forbidden on television. Now we live in a day and time where 93% of all television shows, all television shows, show some form of human sexual activity. And it's no longer hidden. It's in your face, and the church is doing nothing about it. And again... This isn't you, let it roll off. But if it is you, then hear the word of the Lord. There's sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. Is that strong enough for you? In other words, to paraphrase it, the heathens don't even do what you're doing. This is speaking about the church. And I recognize fully and openly acknowledge that there likely is no one in this room to whom anything like this can apply. But I guarantee you that there are probably people in your life who are flirting with such things as Christians. They've made that contact with the old boyfriend or girlfriend on Facebook. They've got their secret MySpace page. There's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes. And in fact, a large part of their time, mentally and emotionally, is spent reviewing the possibilities. Please hear the word of the Lord. God is the one who ultimately gets the blame for this. God is the one whose eye is blackened. He is blamed for the works of his children. He is the one about whom, just like we do, because man, I, I raised you better than that. Any of you ever think those things? Maybe you haven't said it to your kids. I know I've taught you better than that. You did not learn that in my house. But you do it. You, you see, like it or not, parents, and as God is our Heavenly Father, parents get blamed for the actions of their kids. I wonder what it's like to stand in God's place. 
with what's going on in our world today. A divorce rate is virtually the same in the church as it is in the world. The adultery percentages virtually the same in the church as it is in the world. That a man has his father's wife. And so that you don't mistake what's being said there, it means that they are sexually involved. Has means to know. It's the Hebrew equivalent of saying you're sleeping with your mother. That's what it says. Maybe it's a mother-in-law. Maybe it's the widow. We don't know. But the bottom line is it's his dad's wife. Now, we hear that and we go, wow, that never happens. Yeah, it does. And fathers molest their daughters and mothers molest their sons. And because the church has been largely silent on this issue for a long time, we have a world that is so unbelievably sexually charged that people are doing just about every despicable thing that you can think of. And it's not just unbelievers. And it goes on, and this really is the part that saddens me. And again, I don't want to belabor this, but I want to do it justice. Because I believe that our world waits for change. Our world needs someone to stand up. A group of people to stand up and say, you know what? Let's take our world back. This is wrong. You can go online and you can Google sex vacations. That's why the sex trades exist. You probably heard about the thing with our, with our Secret Service and our president. Can you imagine that's how bad it is that some of the most well-trained law enforcement officers on earth assigned with the detail of protecting the president of the United States, POTUS, can't control themselves in the presence of unbridled sexuality like exists in Cartagena, Colombia. That it's that pervasive? Our world's a mess. And we better not think it's not a mess. Because your kids' lives depend on it. You're puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. This is harsh, family. And there are no two ways about it. It's tough. But rather than pollute God's name, it's better to do the tough thing than it is to do the easy thing. For I indeed is absent in the body, but present in the Spirit have already judged him who has done so this deed, as if I were present, the NIV says. Can I paraphrase that for you? You knuckleheads ought to know better. God's view of this is really clear, is what it's saying. There is no decision to be made. There is nothing you need to think about. You don't need to wonder whether it was a loving relationship or not. 
You don't need to know all the details. It's sin. Clearly sin. Pervasive, very in-your-face, unrepentant sin. Paul's writing from Ephesus. He's over 200 miles away, and he gets it. Sometimes we have people right next to us, and it's almost as if we don't get it. Sin kills. Sin destroys. Always has, always will. And again, I, I want to be gentle. And I'm not changing my voice just to do that. I'm telling you, family, if you don't watch out, if you don't look out, if you don't care, it's like a viper. It will bite you. I've already judged him who's done the deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice how he petitions. Whenever you see that phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or thus says the Lord, is another way it's often said in the Old Testament. When you see that, it's the equivalent of saying, God has spoken on the issue. It's clear. Thus says the Lord means God has spoken to this issue already. Jesus has spoken to this issue already. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, John's gospel, and Luke's gospel all record Jesus speaking against unbridled human sexuality, lust, adultery, the fruit of it, divorce. In other words, he's saying, what don't you get? Your kids experimenting with sex is not cute. Telling our kids it's okay to make out in the back seat of their car that everybody does it is not right. It's wrong. Flirting at the office place will get you in deep trouble. You, you see, when we treat it like the world treats it, we're going to get the same result the world gets. And we need to be careful. And we need to be cautious. And we need to stand for Christ. And so he says, in the name of our Lord, and I love the fact that all three names are given there. Lord means Master. Jesus, God is salvation. He gave you grace. And Christ, he's the Messiah. He's the King of glory. He's the reason you're going to heaven. The Master, who in him himself is salvation, who provided that way for you, who is the Christ, he says this. And when you're gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, he repeats it, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's dealing decisively with sin. Amen? Can you see it? I hope you can. This is, I didn't write this letter, by the way. I'd like to remind you of that. I'm not making the words up. They're there. I even read through some of the original text to make sure that they were actually correct. This passage, there's a couple of words that are not repeated from the Nestle Allen Greek New Testament, but they don't make a bit of difference in the translation of it. The NIV, the NLT... New King James, all say the same thing. And so we look at this issue 
They were in flagrant sexual sin. And I think that's the issue that we need to address. Unrepentant. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. You can tell me all day long that I can't move in with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I don't care which way you go. Both are wrong. You, you see, when, when we go the way of the world, we declare with our actions that God did not say what he means and does not mean what he says. And unfortunately, then we own the results, don't we? Let me help you with this. When you make a decision, and it's contrary to popular opinion, you decide, for instance, that human beings actually can fly. And so you go out to prove such a thing. You go to the nearest tree, which is 120 feet tall. You go to the top of it, perch yourself on the limb, and you begin wildly to flap your arms and jump. After the third bounce, you have proven that you did not believe what was said. You did not believe the consensus of opinion that human beings are a little bit too dense to fly. The same is true in a scriptural sense. When God has declared a truth, and we say, well, it doesn't apply to me, and we go out and we flap our wings, and we do our thing, mark my words, you will suffer the same fate. The pain will come. The problems will issue forth in your life. The disaster will happen. It will not be as you thought it would be. The enemy's been provoking your mind and your heart to say, oh, it won't matter to you. No, after all, it's a committed relationship. You know, your, your, your wife, she just isn't quite as beautiful as she used to be. And of course, you know, God understands you're a man. Well, God fully understands. He also gave you the power of the Holy Spirit to restrain those desires and urges within you. You see, when we begin to treat anything that Scripture says, and Scripture says a lot of do-nots, okay? And it doesn't say all of them, by the way. Some people ask, well, you know, Scripture doesn't exactly say you can't do that. That's kind of like saying it's okay to, to stab somebody because it says you shouldn't shoot them. We need to be careful about what we heap on God's plate. Attribute to him. So Paul receives this report. And the Romans and the Greeks, of course, were notoriously immoral. Uh, they were completely unbridled in their sexuality, both heterosexual and homosexual. And so Paul was, in essence, saying to them, you're acting just like the people you're supposed to be ministering to. You're doing exactly what they do. You're allowing it. It's right in your midst and you won't stand against it. To passively do nothing while sin abounds is to agree with it from the world's view. You can say what you want. You can think what you want. But if someone you know is engaged in some type of sexual sin, to say nothing to them is at least to tacitly approve. Maybe you don't approve in your heart or your mind. But if you won't say it's wrong, then what conclusion do you think they're going to come to? Well, I guess Jeff doesn't care. Not that big a deal to God. 
Can I share something with you? It is not a whole lot of fun being a pastor when a couple comes into your office and they're living together and have been living together and they look me in the eye and I ask them the question because I need to know if I'm going to stand in for God. Are you sexually active? And they say, "Uh uh-huh. And I say, if you want me to do the wedding, you need to move out. And you need to do what's right. Because God's not going to bless your sin. And your marriage is going to start a mess. Do you know how hard that is to say those things? But for me to not say it is sin to me. It's sin to me. Because I know the truth. I know what God's Word says. And He doesn't bless sin. He never has and never will. We need to be able to say the tough things when we have to. And again, I'm not talking about grabbing your sinometer and going around the church. Well, okay, what'd you do today? I'm not talking about that at all. When God, by His divine plan, gives you knowledge of a situation that exists and you are there to address it, speak the word of the Lord. Tell them if you love them. Can I remind you that the book of Hebrews, which a vast majority of you have not been there on Wednesday night, so I'm not chastising you, but I am going to repeat some things that we've said recently because many of you, if not most of you, were not there. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a tremendous picture of God's take on this. God chastens those whom he loves. He is willing to suffer having a broken relationship for a period of time to make sure that we know what's right. And in chapter 12, verse 16 and 17 of the book of Hebrews, it says this, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. And he's writing to Christians. Who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights to his oldest son. For a moment's pleasure, for a glance at some stupid web page, for some novel that you think you need to read, you're willing to give up your inheritance in Christ? We need to stand strong, family of God, because the world's coming against. And it's going to try and do everything to shove it down our throats. If you don't believe it, Look how we've been fighting the battle against homosexual marriage. It has now been a decade. Think about it. Hasn't gone away, has it? Still there, isn't it? You think it's going to go away anytime soon? The answer is no. Who do you think has been called to be the voice from God's perspective? It's us. It doesn't mean we're mean. It means the truth the truth. Doesn't mean we're unloving. It means God's already spoken on the issue, just like Paul says here. I already know what to do with the situation. God spoke on it. Can I share with you? God doesn't call anything an abomination and change his point of view a week later. All these things. It goes on to say, and afterwards, that you know he wanted to inherit the blessing. But he was rejected because he could not bring about a change of mind. And so he sought that blessing with tears. How many people get so wrapped up in following after some pattern of sin 
that all of a sudden the light does go on, but they are so far down the road, they won't abandon the sin now. They're so caught up in it. Their mind is so preoccupied with that behavior that they're no longer rational, that the work of the Holy Spirit has been dulled. And family, I know this is hard. And I'm with you in it. I'm not immune myself. So please receive nothing except as a brother to fellow brothers and sisters. But if we won't stand, who will? If we won't stand, if those of us who've received the grace of God and we've tasted of its good works, exactly as Hebrews says, if we ourselves will not stand for the truth, do you think it's going to be Victoria's Secret? Seriously. Do you think it's going to be Budweiser or Miller? Do you think it's going to be the people who put on the halftime show for the Super Bowl? Do you, do you think it's going to be the artists of our day who, who can barely write a song without explicatives in it? Do you think that the world system is going to do this? I say to you, the world system is not going to do it, no more than the Romans or the Greeks were going to do it. It's the church's responsibility to stand for holiness. It's my responsibility, it's yours. As David said, to make a covenant with my eyes, Lord, that I would not sin against you. Sexual immorality has no place, zero place in the church. And it's interesting that, that Esau is mentioned there in Hebrews 12. He was so carnally minded that he was willing to give away his birthright for a bowl of beans. Can I say to you that I've had that person in my office? Can I say to you that's how pervasive sin erodes at the moral fabric of most people to where you no longer even care? Oh, just give me a bowl of beans. You ever notice how those beer commercials on television don't actually show the reality of what happens? You know, it usually shows a whole bunch of very attractive men and very attractive women all dancing around and doing their thing. It doesn't show them with STDs. It doesn't show them with children that they really don't want. It doesn't show them lying in the gutter in their own vomit. It doesn't show that everybody doesn't look like an airbrushed supermodel. It makes these guys look like they're really intelligent. That's the way the world works, family. That's the way Satan works. He's a liar. He's been a liar. And he's going to lie to you. Your husband isn't what he should be. Your wife isn't what she should be. Nobody really understands you. You know, if you just go find yourself, you'll be fine. I found myself. I don't like myself, the one that I found either. There are things about him I don't like. We need to be cautious. We need to be careful. 
phrase that's translated here, sexual immorality, is actually a single Greek word. It's the Greek word porania. And in context, it's used this way. It's to describe absolutely every sexual thing that's outside of marriage. That's all you need to know. That means homosexuality. That means fornication. That means porn. That means sexually explicit and graphic novels. That means everything outside of marriage that leads you to lust and to behave sexually. Everybody get it? It's talking about everything outside of marriage. That the only place that human sexuality is supposed to be expressed is in marriage. It has no place anywhere else in the life of the church. It's that simple. Maybe you don't like that. Maybe you don't agree with that. Maybe you think that's too narrow, but it's what Scripture plainly declares and repeats over and over and over and over again. I want to pick just one thing. That's the issue of pornography. And I want to just share with you some very recent studies. If you know anything about statistical analyses of data, they take a long time. They gather the data, they review the data, they tabulate the data. And if you get anything that's within three or four years, that's very recent. This is from FamilySafeMedia.com. You can go online, you can look it up for yourself. Forward slash pornography, statistics. If you look at what's going on in our world today, and this is just one of jillions of these same types of studies. The pornography industry in the United States in 2007 produced $12 billion in revenue. That is greater than the revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC combined. You don't think our world has a problem with sexuality unbridled, with immorality? Because when you're staring at those images, you ain't thinking about fishing. Told you it was PG-13. It generates online over $2.5 billion in revenue. Between the two, that's almost $15 billion in revenue. Let me help you understand what that number means. The current debt for the state of California is $14.7 billion for the whole state. Huge amounts of money. 85% of the world's pornography comes from right here in beautiful Southern California, specifically North Hollywood and the San Fernando Valley. According to Dr. Alvin Cooper, he conducts seminars all over the world on the, the effects of Internet porn on the minds of human beings. That over 15% of all people who habitually watch pornography will turn those thoughts into action. It's been listed now as a drug. It is considered an addiction. 
you go to the DRSM, the, Di- the Diagnostic and Statistic uh, book that's used by psychologists and psychiatrists to determine some type of problem with you mentally. It is, it is now considered an addiction. It is listed as, in an addictive sense as more addictive, more addictive than crack cocaine. Recent study that was done by Texas Christian University. They interviewed over a thousand people, both male and female, and they were asked a simple question. Can even the recreational use of pornography be unhealthy? The respondents overwhelmingly said no. 85%. The facts are this. 2006 meeting of American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. That's divorce attorneys, basically. Those who handle marriage and family law. Two-thirds of the 350 divorce lawyers who attended that particular seminar said this, that the Internet played a significant role in the divorces. And two-thirds of those marriages that were affected by pornography led to divorce. That's 30%. That... It isn't true with. That's crazy. It's insane. As of July 2009, there were 320 million pages of pornography online. That's an increase since 1998 of 1,800%. Porn itself amounts to 15% of the total content of the entire Internet, which is 3.7 billion total pages. Don't think it's a problem? Americans rent on average right now about 800 million pornographic DVDs annually. Only 3.6 billion non-pornographic DVDs are rented annually. Again, that means one in five DVDs rented in America is a porn video. One in four American adults interviewed in 2007 admitted that they'd seen an X-rated movie in the last year. Do you think we're being tested like never before? It's a problem. There's a reason I'm sharing these things with you. Because the statistics prove this. That this stuff is not only not harmless, it's unbelievably damaging. It creates an unrealistic expectation in marriage. It creates an unrealistic expectation of marriage. It causes men to objectify women and to treat them as objects, in other words. And that's not my God. That's not what my Bible declares about the marriage union. Unbelievably destructive. 49% of all children 
under the age of 17 to the age of 13 have admitted seeing porn online. It's almost 50% of your kids. What do you think they're learning? And what if we don't say anything? What if we just quietly say, well, you know, it's just... uh, I can remember vividly as if it happened yesterday. My dad pulling out a Playboy magazine and sharing the glories of it with me when I was 11 years old. Now, that was back when it was still illegal to show full frontal nudity. Now your kids can go online and watch videos of every despicable thing that you could possibly even ever conjure or imagine in your mind. What do you think's happening to them when they go on those dates at 13, 14 years old and you think it's cute and they're left alone after having watched that? What do you think their minds are doing? In Jesus' name, I admonish you, I implore you, stand for righteousness because your kids' lives depend on it. Is porn just pictures? Can I say to you, no, it's not? Because the Greek word that's used here means anything that results in lust in your heart or in your mind that is outside of the context of marriage. Husbands and wives, love each other. God's given you as gifts to each other. But other than that, it's never good, it's never helpful, it's never beneficial. And it doesn't need to be practiced. Your daughters, I do not want my sons treating with anything other than absolute, utter respect. You see, here's what happens when you try and say, well, this isn't a problem. Can I say to you that the number one New York Times, number one bestseller right now is porn. It's a book called Fifty Shades of Grey. And it is fully pornographic. But it just happens to be in words instead of pictures. It is also the number one book in America purchased by women. It is porn. Make no mistake about it. You're not supposed to turn that switch on except in marriage. In Jesus' name, I implore you, be careful. The world's trying to destroy your marriage, trying to give you a view of physical human sexuality that is so unrealistic that no one will ever be able to fit that bill. Ladies, your husbands are not going to have abs of steel and behinds of steel and be Mr. Braun's body forever. Maybe, uh, maybe like that when you, you know, in your 20s, maybe some of us into our 30s, but after that, gravity takes over. If your basis for understanding human sexuality becomes something that comes from the pit of hell, 
your marriage is going to be in trouble. That is why Paul, I believe, deals with this so strongly. And he basically says, really, are you proud of yourselves? Verse 2 says, why aren't you mourning? Why aren't you ashamed? How come it doesn't bother you is another way to look at it. Shouldn't, should not be that tough. And I know this morning, I know this morning has been a hard message. I understand that. It's hard to teach. It's not pleasant. I don't like it. Not something I want to do. But I think the danger of not doing it is way greater. I I think to say nothing makes me a hypocrite. I, I think to not address it makes God's voice very tough to hear in this world. And he simply goes on, and we'll finish this up next time, this whole chapter, we'll just get through it. Make some tough choices, just cut them off. And the purpose, hear this well, the purpose is so that person can be restored and transformed and brought back into fellowship and renewed and have their mind refreshed. The purpose of pointing out something like this in somebody's life is not to destroy them. It's not to kill them. It's not to harm them. It's to love on them. It's to say, because I love you, just as God chastens those whom he loves, so his church must be willing to take a few bumps and bruises for the cause of righteousness. And I pray we'll do that. Because I guarantee you, if we don't stand up, the moral soup that is being brewed right now will swallow the church up. Ask the Lord what is your part. Don't take on more than is your part. Just do your part. Where you have opportunity. Speak for his righteousness. Speak for his standards. Hold that marriage relationship where it belongs. Between a man and a woman. Who are married and love each other. So that we can see God's standard raised up as the standard again in this country. It used to be the standard. Until 1965, every state in America had a law that made adultery illegal. We need to be careful. Speak the truth in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to ask right now, Lord, if I've said something that's been not of you, Lord, please and just cover that with your love and pray that God there be no one who's unduly pressured or weighted down by these things but Lord, it is a problem in our nation it's a problem in our community Lord, it may well be a problem in some of the homes of the people of this church it's a problem for our kids Lord, it's a problem in our world And so we pray that you would make us a strong voice and yet a loving voice, a powerful voice, but a kind voice. 
Help us to stand for righteousness, Lord, in these evil days. We bless you. We thank you. We love you. Lord, help us to stand for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.